0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 7 in just a moment. I want to tell you a story, and this story comes from John Ortland in one of his books. Let me just read the story. A man wanders into a small antique shop in San Francisco. Mostly the antique shop is cluttered with knick-knacks and junk. On the floor, however, he notices what looks like an ancient Chinese vase. On closer inspection, it turns out to be a priceless relic from the Ming dynasty, whose value is beyond calculating. It's worth more than everything, including the store, together. The owner clearly has no idea the value of this possession because it's filled with milk and the cat is drinking out of it. The man sees an opportunity, an opportunity to have a deal of a lifetime. So he cleverly strategizes a method to obtain that base for a fraction of its worth. He says to the owner, that's an extraordinary cat you have there. I like your cat. How much would you sell your cat for? Oh, the owner, embarrassed, says that cat's really not for sale. She just keeps the store free from mice. Well, the man counters and says, I really must have her. Tell you what, I'll give you you $100 for your cat. She's really not worth it, laughed the owner. But if, if you really want her bad enough... Sure, she's yours. The man continues. He says, I, I need something to feed her with as well. Let, let me throw in another ten dollars for that saucer she's drinking out of. Oh, I, I could never do that. Man continues. He said, "The saucer. That saucer is actually an ancient Chinese vase from the Ming Dynasty. It's my prized possession, whose worth is beyond calculation. But funny thing, you would ask." Since I've had that vase, I've sold 17 cats. (laughs) You see, the ability to assign value is one of the rarest and most precious gifts in the world. If Jesus, if we are followers of Christ, we then need to discern and learn how he expressed value in people. The topic of what I want to share this morning is valuing the trampled on. So how does Jesus express worth to people? You have to learn how to assign high value, worth, importance to others. He saw them as priceless gifts. How do we, in essence, honor one another? Every society has a way of doing this. Countries all around the world where when you welcome someone, when you host someone, when you honor or you give value to someone, you are saying you treasure them. You are saying something of their worth. Or when you ignore them, When you turn the other way, when you make no recognition, you are saying they're not worth that. This is what Jesus is talking about in Luke 7. So before we get there, I want to do a quick little etiquette questionnaire. Three questions. Audience participation. Here we are. We're going to put them up. Question number one At a formal dinner, when should one start eating the main course? A. After the hostess is served. B after the hostess lifts her fork, C, after three or four people have their food, or D, as soon as possible with urgency and passion. Okay, ready? Take a look at that. You got your answer? I'm going to go in the reverse order. How many here, indicate with your lifted hand, how many believe that when should you start eating the main course? How many believe it's as soon as possible with urgency and passion? D, put that. Okay. Okay. How many believe it's number C after three or four people have their food? Okay. How many believe it's number B after the hostess lifts their fork? How many believe it's number A after the hostess is served? Now, if you want to know the answer, ask anybody who's British. Let's go to the next one. I'm not telling you. Number two. What does one do at a formal dinner if one is still hungry after the main course? A request a second helping. B, ask in a plaintive voice, is that all there is? C, yell, look out the window, and then take the food from your neighbor's plate while they're distracted, or D, surrender and simply call two for one pizza. How many believe A, B, C, D? You don't believe any of them. Okay, let's go to the next one. Number three. What is the correct response if one's cell phone goes off during the church service? A, quickly slide it forward and point disgustingly at the person in front of you. B, shout hallelujah until it stops ringing. C, give a larger than usual offering. Or D, answer the phone and yell, my baby! And run out of the room. Now, of course, that only works if you actually have a baby. Okay, I'm not a guy. Etiquette, etiquette. Every country, every continent understands etiquette. They understand etiquette. I want to take you to the story. If you got ever the story, Luke chapter seven, verse. We're going to go to verse thirty-six. Luke seven, verse thirty-six. Let's read this story. When one of the Pharisees invited. <laughs> Who's pointing? We are about to receive the offering again. For those of you who have hearing impairment, somebody's phone just went off. Verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to a dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived in a sinf- who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, when the Pharisee saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. I'm just going to pause here. When Jesus says that, that's not good. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. To neglect value, to neglect and to devalue is very serious. I want to consider the etiquette around this story because we don't understand this story because of its custom. There's a few things in this custom that in our Canadian custom doesn't make sense. So let's just step back into the custom for a moment. First of all, Jesus arrives at the home of a religious leader for dinner. Luke makes the point of telling us Jesus wasn't simply one of the people coming. Jesus had been the invited guest. That's the first thing. He's the invited guest to a dinner at a religious leader's home. And because Jesus is the visiting rabbi, he would be regarded as the guest of honor. Certain rules of etiquette would be assumed. First of all, is the customary greeting with a kiss. Now this was not necessarily an expression of affection as we in our Canadian culture use kiss as an expression of affection. The kiss, the greeting of a kiss, was simply a polite acknowledgement that the guest has arrived. Some of you are from cultures where kisses are part of the greeting and there are different cultures who on one side, on both sides of the cheek, there's different ways by which that is simply saying, I value you. I welcome you in. It's the way as we would reach out our hand and take someone else's hand. So Jesus arrives, and the customary kiss, again, would be an expression of your welcome. Now, the kiss can take on many different forms based on the status of those who are in the dialogue. First of all, if the guest or the person who's coming is of equal social rank, the host would often kiss them on their cheek. If a child were greeting a parent, in other words, you're greeting up, you're greeting up, a, a student to the master, then a kiss on the hand was appropriate. For instance, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Remember, Judas came and betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He would have kissed Jesus' hand. He's a student to the master. He would have kissed the hand. That's the customary, and that makes it even more poignant when he betrayed him after having kissed him as student to master. He betrayed him. It was an act of mockery. To neglect this kiss, this ritual, was equivalent to ignoring someone. It wasn't simply a, oops, we were too busy. Let's put it in today's culture here. It's like arriving at someone who's invited you for a special meal. You arrive at that person's place... And you ring the doorbell, you knock on the door, and you do not get a response. The door is open. So you open the door. Hey, is anybody here? You make your way in, but the family is too busy watching TV. They don't get up off their lazy boy. They don't look you in the eye. They don't say hello. They don't do anything. You just come in. This would be similar because that would be so rude if that happened today. That would be rude and that's exactly what took it is a debilitating deliberate insult to not do this it wasn't a noops it's an intentional insult well another of the etiquettes was washing the feet of the guest this is before the meal if the guest was of high status the host would perform this duty themselves if they didn't do it. At least they would have one of their servants wash the guest's feet as they enter. A particularly lazy or arrogant host might simply give the guest the water and ask them to bathe their own feet. That would be borderline offensive to do that. That would be like your guests today after you have your meal, your Sunday afternoon meal, tell them to go wash their own dishes. That would be the equivalent to give them water and say, wash your own feet. That would be the equivalent. A thoughtful host would give his guests then an additional thing. A thoughtful host would give the guests some olive oil for anointing. Now, this is optional, but it was frequently done. It was was attributing value. In a world that had surplus of heat and scarcity of deodorant, this was particularly refreshing to give some anointing oil to freshen up your face was representing honor. So here's the story. Jesus arrives at the home. He's invited, and he receives none of the above. Now remember, Jesus is no longer an obscure carpenter. Everybody knows Jesus by this time. At this time, he had become a renowned teacher He was attracting multitudes of people. And we're talking tens of thousands of people who are impacted by this man. Multitudes of people, not only from his country, but from places as far away as Tyre and Sidon were coming to follow Jesus. He had an international following. And yet here he is on this day. At the home of Simon, given no greeting, given no water to wash his feet, And given no anointing oil for his head. This is not a subtle omission. This is a deliberate slap in the face to Jesus. And everybody in that room knows it. They all are well aware of what just took place. Basically, war had been declared on Jesus. And everyone is looking to Jesus how are you going to respond to this straight insult? I'm sure you could have cut the air with a knife that day. See, we we missed that in the reading of our story. But i got to take you back into the culture and manner of what just took place there, because it's all about that. Now, banquets of this type are a public affair. In other words, anyone can walk up, watch, and listen So on this particular day, a woman is present. She is a prostitute. The village people and those in the room know of her and know her. But somewhere in her travels in her life, and we're not given the details, she has heard about Jesus. She has encountered Jesus. And he had impacted her life. She's there. She knows what it's like to feel trampled on. She knows what it's like to feel despised. Remember, that's the moment. The moment is they just stepped on Jesus. They just insulted him. They treated him like trash. They disregarded him. And she is in that meeting. She is in that room, and that's her life. She is feeling this all over her. This is all over her. And here she is in the room... When this takes place, she is a prostitute. Prostitutes usually are prostitutes because they are a slave. They are a slave to a slave. They maybe have been captured in a war, turned into prostitution, or they were abandoned as infants and they were raised in the sex trade. Be one of the above. We're not told. It is possible that this woman had been sold into slavery by her parents. doesn't really matter. All we know is that she carries massive wounds of rejection. Huge. She is trampled on. It's all she is. Now, when this prostitute has somehow encountered the teachings of Jesus, it has occurred to her that in her sin, if he loves her, for who she is, that she would follow him for the rest of her life. Somewhere in there, it has revolutionized and transformed her. It's the repentance. It's called she was going this way, but now she's going the other way because of Jesus. When she is with him, she feels valued. She knows Jesus is attending this dinner. She knows there's not a hope in a million that she would ever get invited to this. So she comes Not because of invitation. She comes because it's an open courtyard. And it would have taken all the courage for her to muster up in order for her to walk through the crowd of people who are looking at her with those looks to get into the same room of Jesus. Courage. And now she's in this room, Jesus has entered, and she watches them treat him this way. She watches Simon disregard him, insult him, virtually slap him in the face. No one has given him the honor due him, the value due him. It's an insult. The watching crowd sees her in the room as well. People are watching this also take place. Everybody's knowing what's going to happen next. The disregard for Jesus. The watching crowd waits. There's a strain. Will he walk out? He had every right to do that walk out. He had every right to rebuke Simon. It was expected, but no, not Jesus. No, he accepts it with humiliation, he does not protest. No one comes to his aid. No one comes alongside. No one says, do you know who this is? No one does it. Not one does it. No one comes to the aid of Jesus. Kind of is his story, isn't it? They just let it happen. The woman, though, can't stand it. Her love, her love demands action. Her devotion demands action. There's anger welling up inside her, mixed with love, mixed with devotion. It's all very confusing. And almost on impulse, before she loses the nerve, she acts quickly. Jesus is seated. He's reclined on a cushion. His feet are tucked in, facing away from the table. And without any notice, suddenly the woman, clearly uninvited to this banquet, is standing at his feet. I can imagine all the eyes in the room on her. She proceeds to not look at them. She looks at his feet and she kneels at his feet. She kneels at his feet and begins, the text says, begins to kiss his feet. Because she is, in essence, saying someone has to give him a Someone has to rise up. You cannot all be silent, can you? Someone must honor him. She begins to kiss his feet to grant honor. Now, I wonder, a few questions here, I wonder if she ventured to ever look up. I wonder if she looked up at all, as she looked at Jesus. I, I personally believe she just honed in on his feet at the moment. I wonder if somewhere along the process she thought any moment someone was going to grab her and throw her away like trash. How she embarrassed this meal. But instead, especially from Jesus, there was no judgment from him. He didn't didn't pull his feet away from her. He kept his feet there. No judgmental from him at all. He doesn't look at her as an object to be used He looks at her as a person of utmost value. He doesn't look at her with the longings of many and maybe men in the room who did in the shadows. But he looks at her as loved of the Father. Now whatever happens, we do know that the tears come to her eyes. And they don't just come small, they come big. They become rivers falling from her face. Because the scripture says she washed his feet with her tears. They poured out upon those feet beneath her. Tears of sadness. Tears of regret. Tears of all the things that she wished had never happened. Tears began to flow and flow. Tears of thanksgiving. Tears of, do you love me? Tears of having felt for the first time a person and forgiven. Jesus' feet, unwashed by Simon, are wet from her tears. So she wonders. The predicament is his feet are soaked. Her tears have soaked them. I can't leave them soaked. How do I dry his feet? You notice nobody offers her a towel. Where is everyone? Nobody offers her help. His his, his feet are soaked. Simon won't offer it. So she reaches back to her hair. Her hair would have been done up in a bun type. She reaches back to her hair, and she dismantles her glory. You see, her hair is used in her trade. Her hair is used in the bedroom. Her hair is used in what she's been forced to do. Her dignity is there. And she pulls out that, and she drops it. And from all her dignity, she takes her hair, her hair, and she begins to wipe dry Jesus' feet. She has an alabaster jar of ointment. That's not unusual. Because of her profession, this flask she carries with her everywhere is quite important. You see, this is an air not known for hygiene. So the use of perfume helps make her work less unpleasant for her. At most, she would use a few sprinkles of the ointment. It's all she owns. But she takes that. And she empties it. She doesn't need it anymore. Because that's not who she is now. She pours her old life on Jesus' feet. She knows she cannot anoint Jesus' head. She can't anoint his head because it would be too unseemly. She is a sinful woman. He is a holy man. So she pours it out on his feet. And she continues, never stopping kissing his feet over and over. She has virtually forgotten where she was when all this happened. Now, Simon's watching. Jesus reaches out to Simon. So the story goes on. The story tells. And Jesus, he launches into a a brief little story. He's looking at Simon. Room is filled with people. There's tension everywhere. He looks to Simon, and he tells a story. Jesus says there's two gamblers who owed much money to a loan shark. One owed a lot, another owed a little. However, the loan shark forgave both their debts. Jesus asked Simon, Simon, which of the gamblers will appreciate the lender more? That's not a complicated question. Which of the gamblers will appreciate it, the forgiveness more? Simon begins his answer, and every translation says the same thing I suppose. That's a curious beginning. I suppose. This is a no brainer. You don't have to suppose. You see, Simon doesn't want to admit it, so he starts by saying, I suppose. Simon is making it like, well, this is a tough call. So he says, I suppose mm, the one who had the bigger debt. Jesus was saying that people that love much are those who have come face to face with their own great brokenness and have been undone by the power of God's grace. Verse 44. Jesus now turns to the woman. But he's not now speaking to her. He's still speaking to Simon. But his eyes go to the woman. He turns to the woman, speaking to Simon. The dynamic encounter Depends on how you visualize this scene. This is another important part to grab a hold of. You see, up to now, Jesus' conversation has been between him and Simon. Now Jesus keeps speaking to Simon, turns his eyes and looks at the woman. She looks at him. Their eyes engage. But he's still speaking to Simon. Now usually in a conversation, you speak to the one you're speaking to. But by facing one person while addressing another, Jesus is compelling Simon To do what? Look at her, Simon. Look at her. And as that takes place, all the eyes in the room goes to where Jesus' eyes have gone to. This is intentional. This is on purpose. Look at her. He's talking to Simon. Look at her, Simon. Simon, do you see her? He's inviting Simon to see that lying there on the floor is a prized possession of God whose value is beyond anyone's calculation. And by turning to this woman, Jesus is sending her a message that though though his words are addressed to Simon, they're intended for you as well. So everyone in the courtroom... Yes, they're making decisions that day. Everyone in the courtroom turns and looks at her. She is not only a treasure. She's about to become everyone's treasure in that room that day. Her lack of worth has just now gone through the ceiling. Do you see this woman, Jesus asks. Simon doesn't. There's no indication at the end of the narrative he ever did. He sees her as worthless. He sees her as valueless. He does not see worth. Jesus continues. Simon, you did not give me. He's looking at her. Simon, you did not continue. You did not give me any water for my feet. He's going on, he's, he's being easy on him. I mean, this is an understatement. You've not given me any. Gave me water for my feet. Simon should have at least washed his feet, let alone give him water. He said, She wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. In other words, she transformed a common courtesy into an expression of the most grateful and largest heart. Simon, you did not give me a kiss. This is, again, a gesture of honor any disciple would pay to a teacher. kiss was omitted altogether. Jesus continues, this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. She's still on the floor, kissing his feet, kissing his feet. Jesus continues, you did not put oil on my head, Jesus notes, referring to the common olive oil. She has poured perfume on my feet, the best she had. And as Jesus continues, he now looks her way. And he speaks to her and he says, your debt is canceled. You are forgiven. You need to hear that. You are forgiven. Listen, there was a great sin that day defiling that room. Not the woman, no. But the sin in that room was the sin of lips that won't kiss. It's the sin of knees that refuse to bow. It's the sin of eyes that will not cry. It's the sin of hands that refuse to serve. And it's the sin of perfume that never leaves your jar. Can I say that again? Because that's the issue today. The sin of the room is lips that won't kiss, knees that won't bow, eyes that won't weep, hands that refuse to serve others, and perfume that doesn't leave your precious jar. That's the sin. It's the sin of a heart that refuses to break, a life that will not change, and a soul that does not love. Jesus turns to the woman, and he speaks directly at her. Your faith has saved you. And then he says these three most amazing words. They're just missed so many times. Go in peace. Peace. She's never known peace. Peace. Peace has evaded her all her life. Go in peace. She's had many emotions, but peace was never one of them. Jesus is in effect saying to her, these people cannot judge you. They cannot touch you. So you, hold your head up. Don't walk out of this room despised. You are not an unclean, shamed thing. You walk out of here daughter of the king you see church listen the ability to assign value is one of the rarest and greatest gifts you and i have it's a gift it's a gift we have to assign value to another so let us value what god values and it's you and it's people father in heaven i pray That, God, we see ourselves in this. And that, Lord, as this woman who was forgiven much, as she had that anger rise up in her, how dare you treat him this way? How dare you treat him as a common thing? Lord... We hear that being echoed right here this morning. As a matter of fact, you would, you would say that churches in the last day had become lukewarm. We had lost our first love. we begun to treat you as common. Yeah, we might be here this morning. We might have got in a car or a van and we came to this place. But we did it out of ritual. We did it because someone brought us. Or that's what we do. Or it's what we've always done. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us, God. For we have treated you commonly oh God take us back to the depths of what it has been to have been forgiven of great sin to be greatly forgiven and that God this day may our lips embrace you may our hearts be extended may our knees bow before you may our hands not be silent may our hands not simply serve me oh God can we do anything less than to serve others? And God, we refuse to break our alabaster jars. We're just barely surviving ourselves. Really? Really? Oh God, she poured it all out. Because there is nothing else worth giving it to. God, help us Completely lay it all, it before you. And so, this day, God, I pray here this morning. There are those probably listening to this who just need to know how much you value them, need to know how greatly you treasure them. As you do her, you do so us. That shame is not ours to wear. You do not pull your feet back when we begin to lavishly pour out our love on you. You look to us not with eyes of anything less than of pure love and desire of affection that we are worth the utmost in your sight. God, I pray we would all see that. I pray that our guilt would be washed away. I pray that, God, all unforgiveness has been forgiven, washed. As far as the east is from the west, has been removed from us. You do not look at us disdainly. You do not condemn us. You receive us. And you speak those powerful three words. Go in peace.